everybody. This little bottle contains an absolute miracle. It'll help you start your day off feeling great and with a ton of energy, even if you've had a couple of drinks the night before. Zbiotics.com forward slash reach, you'll get 15% off. There would likely have been no Donald Trump if it weren't for Rupert Murdoch. There would also likely have been no Rupert Murdoch if it weren't for Ronald Reagan. And there probably would not have been a Ronald Reagan if it weren't for Roy Cohen. Yes, that Roy Cohen, the one that helped launch the career of Donald Trump, also helped launch Rupert Murdoch into the United States. And he also helped Ronald Reagan become the president of the United States. Roy Cohen, not very well loved by many people, but he certainly had a hand in power and knew how to connect people. His cousin, Dave Marcus, spent the last six months of Roy Cohen's life shadowing him. He's also here to share what he knows about Roy Cohen and Rupert Murdoch and how that alliance, an alliance with Ronald Reagan, helped launch the Rupert Murdoch empire in the United States and ultimately landed up bringing us Fox News. Quite an achievement, especially considering the news today when we are discovering that the anchors at Fox News were peddling lies on behalf of the management there, Fox News, about the Dominion voting machines, about 2020. But we know that they've certainly been spreading other lies, whether it goes back to the coronavirus or you name it. They've certainly been aware that they've been peddling in untruths, to say the least, to the American public. Amongst those documents that we saw this week from the court testimony was Rupert Murdoch's very own testimony. And it's really interesting for me to be able to read about what was going on inside this organization, inside this news organization, which has been given the opportunity to be truthful to its audience, to be of service to its community by providing good information, solid information, the kind of stuff we get trained for, to do in journalism school. Instead, these guys have gone on the air and basically lied to, the, to their audience, basically provided a full narrative about a voting machine and about Dominion as a company, about all sorts of weird international connections with the Chavez, or you name it, just a, an entirely made-up conspiracy, like you were spending the night in Rudy Giuliani's head or something. And there it is, night after night on Fox News. And now, perhaps it's time for them to pay up. Rupert Murdoch's testimony was really interesting because he did not, in fact, say that he did nothing wrong. He just did what he did the other two times that he's had a major scandal. Back in the 1990s in the UK, he was involved in another scandal. This is the hacking scandal. Remember they hacked into the phones of all the royal family, celebrities, and a bunch of other people? They got into a bit of trouble for that. Not as much trouble as they got into in 2013 when that scandal came back for a second time. Only this time we realized that they were hacking the phones of victims of crimes, which just seemed like a step too far. And they were paying off all sorts of other local officials, court people, you name it. They were just going above board, being corrupt. And, uh, and also just not performing as an ethical newsroom should perform. Now, those two scandals, 1990s one and the one in 2013 involved, involving News of the World, certainly Rupert Murdoch in his defense of both of those scandals did the same thing. In the UK scandals, he blamed his newspaper editors, he blamed his reporters. Those are the ones who got in real trouble. They were the ones who had their homes raided in the early morning and had to be dragged off into police stations because of this, these various scandals the newsroom had been involved in. But it is beyond Rupert Murdoch's capability to accept that he is personally responsible for any of these things or his company is personally responsible. So what he tends to do is do the same shtick he's done the last two times and he's doing it again now. He gets to blame all the anchors. Yeah, those are, yeah, those 16 anchors, they all did that. But I had no knowledge. I didn't know I wasn't coordinating it or anything like that. And of course, you know, that can't really be true because he was so close to the White House. He was so close to Jared Kushner. There's just not a chance 
that he didn't know what was going on. They weren't coordinating messages. There's real criminality in these cases. There's an actual coordinated corruption scheme in order to lie to the American people, as there was in the 90s in the UK to hack the phones, a scheme. These are not your typical newsroom hijinks. You don't normally get, and I've spent a lot of time in newsrooms in my life, you don't normally get scandals involving the entire newsroom. It's scandals involving one reporter or two reporters, I don't know, maybe someone falsified some information, maybe someone lied about a story, maybe they got a fake interview, maybe they got paid to, to add some information to a story. Those are the typical kind of scandals you get in newsrooms. Very rarely do you get entire news organizations all somehow saying the same thing, pretending to be the truth to their audience when they're not, and not doing that in a coordinated way. That just seems ludicrous. It seems ludicrous that there wasn't some coordinated scheme. So for him to go around blaming each of his anchors for doing what they did meant the anchors themselves would have been stuck in a room back there, not consulting with anybody else, not telling their directors what they were doing, not telling their writers what they were doing, just making up full-on stories about Dominion, even though it had no backing from anybody. It's ludicrous to suggest that it didn't belong to the entire organization. It doesn't belong to Rupert Murdoch himself directly because he's so connected to the Trump White House. That in fact, this is the only way that you can justify a story being so extensive in an entire news organization is because it's connected directly to the powers that are benefiting from it. And in this case, we know that Rupert Murdoch was benefiting directly and so was the White House benefiting directly from that mutual relationship that Murdoch had with the Trump White House. There was a letter that came today from the Speaker of the House, Hakeem Jeffries, and the Majority Leader, Charles Schumer, in the Senate, expressing their distress at what they're finding out from Rupert Murdoch in this testimony. And it really is a well-written letter that deserves a little bit of a read here. So let's uh, take you through what they said. As noted in your deposition released yesterday, this is to Rupert Murdoch, Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, Laura Ingram, and other Fox News personalities knowingly, repeatedly, and dangerously endorsed and promoted the big lie that Donald Trump won the 2020 presidential elections, that you have acknowledged your regret in allowing this grave propaganda to take place. Your network hosts continue to promote, spew, and perpetuate election conspiracy theories to this day. The leadership of your company was aware of the dangers of broadcasting these outlandish claims. By your own account, Donald Trump's election lies were damaging and really crazy stuff. Despite that shocking admission, Fox News hosts have continued to peddle in the election denialism to the American people. This acts as a dangerous precedent that ignores the basic journalistic fact-checking principles and public accountability. This is even more alarming after Speaker McCarthy is reputedly allowing Tucker Carlson to review highly sensitive security camera footage of the events surrounding the violent January 6th insurrection. And it closes by saying Fox News executives all, and all other hosts on your network have a clear choice. You can continue a pattern of lying to your viewers and risking democracy or move beyond this damaging chapter of your company's history by siding with the truth and reporting the facts. We ask that you make sure that Fox News ceases disseminating the big lie and other election conspiracy theories on your network. It is, in fact, true that they continue to peddle these stories. They haven't, in fact, even acknowledged that this court case is going on to their audience. Howard Kurtz was being told by his bosses that he can't even mention this case. And he's the media guy at supposedly a news network that is now banning coverage of its own stories, the stories relevant to itself. So it doesn't look to me like they're going to change that policy. We're not going to soon see it on Fox News. But at some point, it seems to me that Rupert Murdoch is going to have to go up to Dominion and offer some sort of settlement. $1.6 billion is a lot. He's clearly in a lot of trouble despite his admission that he's done it. So at some point, we should expect 
that there will be an apology on the air, that there will be all the anchors saying, we lied to you and we apologize for lying to you. But then what? What do you do with an organization that's been so heavily crippled after that? And you can't have any of those anchors back on the air because they're just known for lying. It's interesting to note just for uh, Speaker Jeffries and uh, also Senator Schumer, the more you talk about each individual anchors, you're falling into the his trap, into the fox trap. I haven't gone to trial yet, so you could time here. But what you need to keep pressing on is the fact that it's the whole Fox News. It's not just anchor one, anchor two, and anchor three, because that is what their defense is going to be, that it's just the single anchors who got in trouble, that it's not the entire organization. And it's certainly not Rupert Murdoch. Reading uh, Donald Trump's reaction to all of this, he's telling Rupert Murdoch to get out of the news business, which is hilarious because the only reason that Donald Trump is in the politics business is Rupert Murdoch. There's no doubt about that. But uh, twice today, he went on a bit of a rant to Donald Trump. This is basically because Rupert Murdoch is admitting that Donald Trump's ideas that he won the election were crazy stuff. I think that got Donald Trump a little bit upset. So that's why we saw that. And we ought to remind everyone how close Jared Kushner was and is still to this day to Rupert Murdoch. And these are not just friends. These are not just colleagues. Jared Kushner, when he started his career, when he first started moving into Manhattan, it was Rupert Murdoch that helped him really expand his property empire into Manhattan. Rupert Murdoch has been his mentor for decades, since the early 2000s. These guys are very close to each other. Every day when Jared Kushner was in the White House, Rupert Murdoch would call him every single day. They'd discuss things, they'd discuss advice, they'd be, discuss strategy. It's a very close relationship. So when you're talking about Rupert Murdoch, you are also talking about the Kushner empire, and you are also talking about the entire Trump White House, because in fact, I don't believe it's possible for there to have been a Trump White House if it weren't for the interference, if you will, of Rupert Murdoch and also his ex-wife, Wendy Deng. Wendy Deng and Rupert Murdoch were close to both Ivanka and to Jared, which makes for an interesting scenario when you're thinking about potential influence by foreign companies. It could be quite, quite possible, in fact, that Wendy Deng was a Chinese spy. And if she was a Chinese spy, maybe she was influencing her husband or ex-husband to do some things on behalf of the Chinese state. And, uh, and who knows if that's the way they were able to get Jared and Ivanka to be so compliant. Speaking of Chinese spies, here's a clip from Steve Bannon, who describes the day that Rupert Murdoch was first told, apparently, by Ivanka Trump that her father was going to run for president. This is Steve Bannon describing what Rupert Murdoch's reaction was to that news from Ivanka Trump. It's quite funny. No, he's not. And then she goes, no, you don't understand. He is. He really thought this through. And he goes, no, he's not. And she goes, no, he is. He mumbles in the soup. No, he's not. And that was the conversation. It didn't change a lot over lunch. Murdoch, to me, should have been the guy above all that understood how you actually communicated to a mass audience, particularly communicated to a working class audience. And he was, it seemed to me at the beginning, the most anti-Trump of all. He certainly changed his mind. And then after a while, we found out, of course, that there was an alliance that had been built between Jared Kushner and Rupert Murdoch, that they would help each other in getting Donald Trump elected. In fact, that's what we saw. And we also saw in 2020, now revealed through these Dominion filings, that there was another deal struck between Rupert Murdoch and Jared Kushner that included giving Jared Kushner all the information they needed about Joe Biden's advertising plans that was released to Kushner ahead of the last election. So you can see that it's certainly not an alliance that ended with one election that they continued into the second election. We'll talk to Dave Marcus about all the interesting things his cousin did in setting up the lives of Donald Trump, Rupert Murdoch, and Ronald Reagan. Now, I should say 
that this is a very, it's a family member. This guy's talking about his family member. The guy's talking about his cousin. He spent the last six months of his life, Roy Cohen's life, shadowing Roy Cohen. He's a person who knew him quite intimately. We're talking about 1986 when he died. You're going to be interested in hearing what he has to say. He certainly has got not the most flattering things to say about Roy Cohen, but it's fascinating to hear someone who knows him so well, understood his mind and how he operated, the system on which he built. And it's brought to you by Z-Biotics. You can wake up without feeling gross after a couple of drinks the night before just by using this prebiotic called Z-Biotics. Here's how it works. Drinking alcohol produces a toxin called acetaldehyde. It's this toxin, not just dehydration, that causes the worst morning after effects of drinking. Using genetic engineering, we built a probiotic that breaks down acetaldehyde. We started with a natural probiotic bacteria found in a Japanese superfood called natto. Then we altered its DNA so that it produces an enzyme that breaks down acetaldehyde. This is similar to what your liver does, but our probiotic does it better. After spending a year building a prototype, we put it into a drink with this hypothesis. Before drinking alcohol, you drink our probiotic and it works in your gut throughout the day and night, breaking down acetaldehyde and setting you up for a great next morning. Zbiotics, check them out at zbiotics.com forward slash reach. You'll get 15% off. It's a great deal. It really is a great deal. The stuff really works, by the way. It's not one of these fly-by-night things. It's an actual scientifically proven product and it will make you feel better the next day if you've had a little too much to drink. Even if you've just had one or two drinks the night before, sometimes I can get pretty hungover from that. So just that could work for you if you want to try zbiotics.com or slash reach. It's worthwhile as we talk to you about Rupert Murdoch to bring you back into understanding the trajectory of Rupert Murdoch's career. He certainly began in Australia. That's where his life as a newspaper mogul began. He's a very enigmatic man who really was able to storm Australian media scene and develop a pretty impressive stable of newspaper assets while he was there. He soon found that even limiting for himself. So by 1969, he decided to branch out into the United Kingdom and he bought the News of the World and soon afterwards The Sun and that later became the highest selling tabloid of the UK. This experience of him moving from country to country is pretty rare. You don't often see media moguls establish themselves in Australia and then move to the United Kingdom and then go to China. It's very rare for these kind of media moguls to leave the borders of which they're confined to because the media business is such a local kind of business. It often is you know, driven by local interests. It's fascinating that Rupert Murdoch was able to start in Australia, get such a massive, impressive start. And then was able to ultimately move his media empire into a British empire and to buy these incredible assets, the News of the World and The Sun, both spectacularly important ones. In 1973, just four years later, he's trying it again. This time he's trying to get into the US market. And he buys the San Antonio Express News, a good newspaper, no doubt, but not like the best newspaper in the country, but a good newspaper, a nice mid-market newspaper paper to get your feet wet with, if you like. Murdoch buys this thing in 1973. And he's already doing a lot of global expanding for just a small Australian company that was already a little bit over leveraged for them to be buying up properties like this in countries in the UK and the US and diversifying their interests across so many different continents is really interesting. Very unusual strategy, actually, when you think about it, unless you've got a ton of money in the backing of maybe other interests. It all happened at a rather interesting time. 1973, of course, Watergate was the big story. 1974, Nixon resigns. And it's after Nixon's resignation that we have the Church and Pike commissions, both of those commissions recommending that the CIA curtail its, its intelligence operations, especially its black ops 
operations. In other words, these are the things that were really secret. You, they didn't want to do that anymore. It might be the case that the CIA was told not to do it. That's true. The CIA was told not to do it. It didn't stop the White House from doing it, which is what they landed up doing when essentially brought us to the Iran-Contra scandal. Now, it may be surprising to all of you. It was a surprise to me that Rupert Murdoch is, in fact, a little bit involved in the Iran-Contra scandal, as is every major person in the news who is still in the news today from that period of time, seems to have been touched somehow by the Iran-Contra scandal. Now, Murdoch bought the New York Post in 1976. He held onto it until 88. He had to sell it then, because at that point in America, there were still rules about how many newspapers and TV stations you could own in market. There used to be that you could only own one or two TV stations and one or two newspapers. You couldn't own the entire spectrum because if you did own the entire spectrum, you might get something like Fox News where you get just one voice in the stratosphere of a certain part of the country and then that's all they believe. He had to sell it in 1988. But of course, because as we'll find out from Dave Marcus, because of the rules changing in favor of, of people like Murdoch, he was able to buy the New York Post back in 1993. That's how he spent his 60s and 70s, how he spent his 70s at least. Let's tell you then what happened right after this, because in 1981, News International buys the Times and the Sunday Times, giving them almost 40% of the British press, which is in the UK, which is another impressive feat. I don't know how the regulators there quite work, but for them to be giving 40% of the British markets to News International, including the Times and the Sunday Times, pretty impressive. Now we jump forward to 1983, and there's a small note in the CIA files that reflect Murdoch's movement. They tell us that in 1983, Murdoch had a very unusual dinner with the head of the CIA, William Casey, at the time. And that dinner was also joined by Charles Z. Wick, who was, at the time, USIA director. So it was a CIA notice that in 1983, Murdoch dined with William Casey. And then we find out later on what that means because just a few years later, we discovered that there was something called Project Democracy. You see, when the CIA was told that they couldn't do any of their black ops anymore, the White House thought, well, what are we going to do to replace that? So they came up with this thing called Project Democracy. And Project Democracy was a fairly large enterprise. It was run by Oliver North, amongst other things. And it had a front side, which faced the public and was basically a funder of NGOs and opposition groups around the world. And it had a covert side where they did all sorts of dirty ops, like sell arms to Iran or whatever it is they were choosing to do on any given day of the year. It coexisted under the banner of Project Democracy, but they were very different. There was an open, well-known public version of this. And then there was this covert version of this. And this is really interesting that Rupert Murdoch was one of the funders of Project Democracy. We know that because Project Democracy was intended to be both a public organization and a private organization because the money had been cut off by Congress. So the CIA no longer had access to all these black ops funding that they'd previously had. The White House had to seek funding elsewhere. And they did that by going to billionaires or millionaires at the time, I'm not sure what they were, who were interested in this kind of world amongst the people who had dinner with Charles Zwick and uh, the CIA director Casey at the time. These are the millionaires and billionaires. So James Goldsmith, publisher of L'Express, the French magazine, W. Clement Stone, Chicago businessman, and Rupert Murdoch. And we're told by very good sources that Rupert Murdoch was in fact the funder or one of the funders of Project Democracy. Why did he do it? Did he do it because it helped just his newspaper empire grow? Who knows? 
Did he do it because he was funded indirectly by other people? Who knows? That's also possible. We do know that in 1982, things weren't going so well financially for Rupert Murdoch. He had almost become bankrupt in Australia. So it seems quite bizarre that he would have money to throw at something as obscure as Project Democracy. But he did. He did. And then in 1983, he became one of these funders of this sometimes illicit COVID operations that happened as part of the Reagan White House, which ultimately, by the way, of course, included the Iran-Contra affair. So it's interesting, a timeline of, by the way, of everything that happened with Project Democracy. So in June 1982, President Reagan announces Project Democracy in a speech to the British Parliament, saying its purpose is to foster democratic ideals in authoritarian regimes. Early August 1982, a White House memorandum calls for re-examination of the law in order to permit covert action on a broad scale by the National Security Council under this project. This is important because what they were trying to do is run this entire operation instead of running it under the CIA. They were going to run it under the NSC, which is quite naughty, but they seem to have gotten permission to do that from, from the Congress. In 1982, the White House excludes the Central Intelligence Agency from the program for fear that the CIA participation would confirm suspicions that the project would be used to cover covert activities. In 1983, President Reagan signs National Security Decision Directive num number 77, permitting the NSC to coordinate project democracy activities. In 1983, the wealthy business executives are invited to the White House. We just told you about that for the purpose of soliciting money for project democracy. And then in 1983 as well, McFarlane is appointed National Security Council advisor and he then names Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North to head the Project Democracy's covert arm. In 1983 as well, Congress approves the first financing for the National Endowment for Democracy after the Director of Central Intelligence, William Casey, pledges in public that the agency will not be involved. So it's the National Endowment for Democracy, which I think still exists today, which funded Project Democracy. December 1984, now it's years later, the first known delivery of weapons to the Nicaraguan rebels or Contras under Project Democracy leaves Lisbon for Honduras. And then in spring 1985, Lake Resources, the Dolmi Corporation and other Project Democracy companies are chartered. August 1985, the White House acknowledges that Colonel North had been aiding the Contras. And in November 1985, a White House memorandum calls Lake Resources our Swiss company and says one of the airplanes had just delivered weapons to the Contras, and so on goes. So you get a sense of how, at the time, the Reagan White House, and of course, George Bush being the former head of the CIA, now the vice president, had experience in COVID activities. We know that it makes sense for him to then want to launch a NSC-type project, a project democracy or COVID activities project, which he could then oversee from the White House. Makes a lot of sense to me, at least. That's how that sort of evolved. The next part of the story is really about how Roy Cohn introduces Rupert Murdoch to Ronald Reagan. And it's a great story, and it mostly revolves around these photographs here. There's Reagan. I'm not sure the dude in the back there. It does look really familiar, but I can't remember who that is. There he is, a very young-looking Rupert Murdoch in what we believe is 1982 or 1983, meeting the President of the United States. Rupert Murdoch just owned the post and then San Antonio Express News, so he certainly felt himself a player, but not the kind of player that he would land up being at the end of the Reagan White House. That just certainly was going to be a much bigger enterprise for him. And there's Roy Cohen, just four years short of his death. Roy Cohen died in 1986. That is him just four years earlier making this introduction. We'll hear from Dave Marcus about how connected Roy Cohen was and how important it was for him 
to play in this favor business. It's really important what, what happens in 1985, because even though, again, Rupert Murdoch was supposedly short on cash, somehow he buys 20th Century Fox. And with that 20th Century Fox comes much greater assets across the United States, of course. And then in 1986, he buys Metro Media, which includes television stations in Chicago, Dallas, Houston, LA, New York, Washington. And then he launches the Fox Broadcasting Network. This is very significant because, again, the rules up until that point had stated that you could only have one or two newspaper interests in every market. People did not want a single mogul owning everything in the market. But in 1986, those rules were amended. This is as Roy Cohen was in his last months alive. Next time on Spy Murdoch, Dave Marcus joins us. Roy Cohen was an evil genius. He was mover and shaker like we'll never see again in the United States or most countries. He also, unfortunately, was my cousin. Every minute of Narrative's reporting, every story that we break is made possible by our patrons. You too can become a patron by joining at patreon.com forward slash narrative. Narrative, where truth lives. One day, you'll tell the story of autocrats, crooks, and kings who came for our freedom. A story of citizens who stood up to tyranny and won. The people prevailed and renewed an old vow to a more perfect union. And that was just the beginning. The story continues. Narrative, where truth lives.